The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, back from hiatus and back from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. We had a little bit of a break we took from the show. We'll be bringing you new shows coming up in the next few weeks and lots of really exciting new things to talk about in the world of aesthetics and wellness and health, all kinds of things. And I want to remind you some of the shows we did previously you might want to listen to. We did a great show on marijuana, the marijuana controversy. You can check that out on the archives at voiceamerica.com. Wanted to tell you how to get a hold of me. First of all, if you have questions, please call in anytime. You can listen to the show and, and contribute. Call in, ask your questions live on the air. The number is 866 472 5792. We can ask anything about the topic we're discussing or anything else at all. Love to talk about what I do. That's why we're here on the radio. And I'm happy to answer any of your questions. If you want to get a hold of uh, the show or, or me off the air, you can do so on Facebook. Catch me on Facebook, New Reflections Radio in Facebook, or you can get to my uh, Facebook page directly, Miami Plastic Surgeon in Facebook. You can also catch me on Twitter. Follow me. See what we have to say. We've got interesting feeds coming out. That's at Dr. Rubenstein, D-R Rubenstein, R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Well, today's show is called Building a Better Breast Implant. And we've got a really interesting topic to talk about. There's some cool stuff that have come out with implants. I'm going to start out just talking about breast implants in general and the history of breast implants. It's kind of an interesting start that they had. You know, the first breast augmentation of any kind was done in 1895. There's a surgeon named Dr. Cherney. Dr. Cherney had taken a little tumor out of a woman's breast and he had these asymmetric breasts, and you know, one breast bigger than the other. He wasn't sure exactly what to do about it, but he had a really good idea. You see, it turns out this patient had a little fatty tumor on her back. So he had a little extra fat in one area, not enough tissue in another, and that's what plastic surgeons do. We fix these kind of problems. So he went ahead and took out that fatty tumor from the lady's back, called lipoma, and he used it as a breast implant. That was in 1895. That was the very first breast augmentation. Now, from that point forward, since it was seen to be a really neat thing to do, help that woman keep her body form, and the idea was really exciting, lots of doctors started using lots of different things, and not all of them were such great ideas. 
Some of the stuff that people use, things like ivory, you know, carving ivory into the shape that they would need. Glass, people would use glass balls, and you can imagine it probably wasn't such a great idea. Rubber, it seems like rubber would be, make a good idea, but you know, your body doesn't do so well with certain types of rubber put into you. Uh, foam sponges, and that was actually, foam sponges were used in the early stages of breast augmentation as it led up to what became the actual implant. We'll talk about that story. People used a, a ball of tape. They used paraffin, wax. They used all kinds of things. But then in 1961, uh, Tom Cronin and Frank Giroux in Houston, both plastic surgeons, were working on this project. And uh, one of them was sent to the blood bank. They were, they were actually uh, young surgeons, res- some of them residents. They had residents on the team. Tom Biggs was a, a resident working with Dr. Cronin and Dr. Giroux. And one of them got sent to the blood bank to get a unit of blood for a patient who was sick. And they're on their way back uh, holding this unit of blood in their hand. Now, a unit of blood comes, or these days comes, in a little plastic bag, a sterile plastic bag, sterile on the inside, holding the blood on the inside, and it's sort of like a, a bag of water. And they, uh, they were holding this thing in their hand and kind of walking their way back to the patient, squeezing it, moving it around, and they were uh, thinking to themselves, gee, you know, this, this feels kind of soft and kind of like a breast. And, you know, that was the idea, holding it in his hand, he figures, gee, this, this interesting idea, you could put fluid into a silicone pouch, and try and make it into uh, a form of a breast implant, and that might work. So then they got together and started thinking about what they were going to put into this, and they came up with silicone gel, got together with the Dow Corning Company, and the first silicone gel implant was produced. And that was in 1961. The first operation to do a breast augmentation with that implant was in 1962. So from 1962... The world was never the same. Certainly down here in Miami, we've got plenty of breast augmentation going on. And throughout the country, it's always one of the top three procedures performed in the United States. Hundreds of thousands get done every single year. But now, there's a huge variety of implants to choose from. And there's been a lot of technologic advancement. In, uh, in the years following that first implant in 1962, there was a company, actually a French company, came out with a saline-filled implant. We started having them in the United States later on. There were sil- round silicone uh, implants shaped. And there's, there's all different types of technology, but now let's talk about those round silicone-filled implants. That's what we were using starting from 1962 moving forward. But then right around 1990 or 91, There were a group of women that got together uh, and formed a group that said, hey, there's something wrong with these implants. You see, there were some young women in their early 20s that were diagnosed with diseases like lupus and scleroderma, which are not nice diseases to have, but it, it does happen. They're called connective tissue diseases, and they come with things like rashes and tight skin and dry mouth and, and other problems that, that come along with it. And these young women had these diseases, you really didn't know why they got them. And, you know, bad things happen sometimes, but when it happens, you always go looking for a reason. And in the case of lupus and scleroderma in these ladies with breast implants, enough of them got together and said, hey, 
you know what? I think it was my breast implants because I just got my breast implants a year or two ago and now I've got this weird diagnosis. I don't know where it came from. It's got to be the implants. So enough of these ladies got together and they formed a group and they got a hold of, of enough attorneys to take the case and they went to the FDA and said, hey, you've got to stop selling these breast implants. They're causing our disease. And without really any scientific evidence of any kind, the FDA, in a very conservative move, pulled breast implants, uh, silicone-filled breast implants, off the market. And they put a moratorium in the United States of using silicone-filled breast implants for breast augmentation. Now, there's something a little screwy about that on a number of counts. Number one, there's really no scientific evidence at that time to support that kind of move. Number two, they didn't pull the implants off the market entirely. They just said, you can't do breast augmentation with them. Well, you know, that's not really taking them off the market. See, because if we were doing a lift, well, you can still use them. If you do a lift with implants, you can use them. And then for breast reconstruction, you can use them. Now, interestingly, there were not a group of women that had a lift and augmentation that came out and said it's causing my lupus and scleroderma. And there were not a group of women that had breast reconstruction with silicone implants that came out and said, oh, now I've got uh, lupus and scleroderma. Well, let's think about that. Why do you think that is? Well, if a woman needs a lift, she's probably a little bit older. And if a woman needs uh, reconstruction from breast cancer, she's probably a little bit older too. So if you're talking about older patients, you know, patients that are not in their early 20s, but women that are in their mid to late 30s, their 40s, their 50s, they're not in the range, the age range, of women that typically get diagnosed with diseases like lupus and scleroderma. So you didn't see a group of those women complaining. Now, from the point of 91 or 92 forward, it took about 15 or 16 years of study. And there were large studies done. One in Europe, there were two studies done in the United States of thousands and thousands of women looking to see, is there really a relationship between these diseases like lupus and scleroderma and others and silicone breast implants? And it turns out that there is not. So in 2007, the silicone-filled breast implants were reintroduced in the United States to be used for breast augmentation. So, you know, these days... That, that's probably 80 or 85% of what I do, and most of my colleagues prefer silicone breast implants. In fact, worldwide, there's very little saline breast augmentation being done. Now, that wasn't the only scandal that we had with breast augmentation. There was another scandal that relates to uh, a different type of uh, breast implant. And these were also, interestingly, uh, taken from France. Uh, these implants were made by a company called PIP. Now, PIP is a company that was founded in 1991, and they make perfectly good breast implants. They make perfectly good breast implants at that time. PIP uh, stands for Poly Implant Prothese or Prothesis. And it's a French company that, uh, like I said, was founded in 1991. They were making silicone-filled breast implants, and they made it for quite some time. Uh, they were founded by a, a guy named Jean-Claude Mas. 
And Mr. Moss will forever live in infamy because these implants caused a worldwide problem. You see, in 1993, the silicone that people used to make these breast implants was not so readily available. So instead of decreasing production, the PIP company went looking for an alternative, and their alternative was to use industrial-grade silicone for the majority of the fill and only use the approved medical-grade silicone for a minority of the fill. And you know, that is where the problem began. Because there were thousands and thousands of women that were implanted in France and even worldwide that had this issue. Now, we're going to get into this. We're going to take a short commercial break in just a couple seconds. We're going to get into this in more detail, tell you exactly what happened with these PIP implants and what you need to know about it. And we're going to have a, a bigger discussion about what is new and great in implants. In fact, we'll talk a little bit about a device that may help track your breast implants and help with identification that's coming down the line. We'll talk about that's a device made by a company called Veritech. And uh, we'll be doing that and speaking with Dr. Teitelbaum. In just a few minutes, we'll be back with more about breast implants on today's show, Building a Better Breast Implant. We'll be speaking with Dr. Teitelbaum and hopefully someone from Veritech shortly after this break. We'll be right back after these messages on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America business channel want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite voice america talk radio network host how about what's new with our network 
Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We're talking about breast implants. Today's show is called Building a Better Breast Implant. And we were just talking about PIP. Now, let's go back to the PIP story. So here we are in 1993, and they've got bad silicone going into these implants. So no one really notices it for about 13 years. In fact, in some of the interviews in the wake of this scandal, some of the internal people said, you know, you had to pretty much be a chemist to be able to recognize that there was an issue with this. There was a problem with this silicone because it, it looked the same. It's difficult to tell just kind of looking at it that there's something wrong. And they hid all the records and they hid the, the way that uh, they were manufacturing from any authorities for quite some time. But the problem started happening in 2006 and this bad silicone mixture really started having a high rupture rate. It was affecting the shells of the implants. And they noticed that the rupture rate was a little bit higher than it should have been with these implants. And starting around 2009, there were more and more problems and women developing big issues, large uh, fluid collections around the breast, you know, giant fills in the breast and having uh, this exposed silicone. And the, the silicone was not as pure, not medical grade, so they were having tissue reactions to it. And it was creating problems around the world. In fact, there's estimated 300,000 patients worldwide that were estimated to have these implants. So now you have 300,000 women walking around with these implants not knowing what they should do. But the problem was discovered by the United States government, really, uh, the FDA, in the year 2000, when the FDA actually warned the French government about these implants and their fill not being up to medical standards that nothing was done about it. And then starting around 2009 and 2010, the company was really starting to get a lot of flack. They were having huge lawsuits, many lawsuits being filed against them. And they pretty much went out of business and liquidated in 2010. Interestingly, in recent news, since then, Mr. Moss has gone on to found, uh, basically not to found the company, but to tacitly found the company because the Moss went on to found another company or consult in the founding of another company to produce breast implants. And so this, this story may not yet be over. But the important thing is if you have PIP implants or you think you might have PIP implants, 
you really ought to take notice. If you have any issues with your breast, you really ought to have those implants checked. And if they're broken, you ought to have them removed immediately. Uh, they can easily be replaced. Having implants taken out and, and replaced is not that big a deal as an operation, so long as the implant is intact. But once that implant breaks, it really becomes a sticky mess. And it's a, it, at, at best, a sticky mess with medical-grade silicone. When you start having these bad industrial-grade mixtures, once you get that stuff stuck to your tissue, you can't really get rid of it. I mean, imagine, imagine instead of a silicone-filled implant, it's like a big paintball. Well, if that paintball pops, yeah, you can take the shell of the ball out and you can wash out most of that paint, but bits of it are going to get stuck to the inside of that pocket all around. You're not going to be able to get it all out. And that's exactly what happens with the silicone. So if you think you might have PIP implants, if you had surgery in another country, uh, South America, Europe, you may want to get that checked out. Make sure that your, bre- your implants are okay. If you have PIP implants and they're intact, well, then it's up to you. My advice is if you know you have PIP implants, you're probably better off getting them replaced before they become a problem than waiting for them to become a problem. They might never You might live your whole life with them and be okay, but you don't want to be that person that waited, had the implants break, and now you've got a real problem with your breast getting firm and hard and getting scar tissue on the inside because of this exposure to the bad silicone. So if you have PIP implants, you probably ought to go and get them checked or even removed and exchanged. You could also just get them removed and left out. That's another option. But you ought to check out, at least know whether or not you have the PIP implants. And that brings us to... Uh, who was to be our first guest, and uh, we haven't heard from him, he hasn't been able to call in, so I'm hoping that we still hear from him, but what we're talking about is Mr. Scott Silverman is the CEO of Veritech. Veritech is a company that makes lots of technology for uh, tracking and identification of devices and data. And uh, in 1993, they began working on this implantable radio frequency identification device, this little microchip. And their original technology was to identify lost pets. And these are the chips that my dog has. And lots of you listening have dogs and cats and animals that have these microchips implanted. And they can be read through the skin and and they can identify who the dog is and who the owner is and that, that the animal has all the vaccinations and it's safe. You get lots of information on these little chips that can be read anywhere in the world with the right reader. Well, pretty cool idea. And then in the wake of the PIP scandal, the question is, wouldn't it be great to know exactly what kind of implant you've got, what size it is, what model it is? Because, you know, patients will come to the office, and even if they don't have a problem with the implant, that is, They want to have a revision. Maybe their breasts sagged over the years. Maybe they want to go a little bigger. Uh, Maybe they have capsular contracture, which is the number one reason that women have a revision of breast augmentation. And if they come to the office and their breasts are a little bit firm and they're they're feeling a little hard, the implant maybe is sitting up a little bit too high, that's very common with capsular contracture. And it's good to know what implant is in place. Now, sometimes... The patient has no idea. When we do these operations, these implants come with identifying numbers on them now. Uh, They come with a card that has the serial number. You can uh, apply to the card. I always give my patients two cards with the serial numbers of both implants on each card. 
Well, not everybody keeps the card. So, you know, after 10 years have gone by, who knows where the heck you put that card? So, you know, unless you, you have a safe deposit box or a file at home where you keep that kind of stuff, that could be lost and shuffled and passed around. Who knows where it might end up to? And, and lots of folks have no idea where the heck that card is when it comes time to do an exchange or they need another operation. So, you know, the information isn't always readily at hand, even if you had it in the first place. It would be really nice to have these little microchips into the implants to help identify what the uh, what the breast implant size is and what the uh, what the model is, what the fill is, the style, all that jazz. And Veritech has been uh, working with uh, working towards getting this integrated into the implant manufacturing process. And one of the issues is that, you know, breast implants are a sterile device. Uh, and in order to sterilize these, they get cooked at a really high temperature. So the microchips have to be able to withstand huge temperatures. Well, Veritec came up with a temperature-resistant microchip. So they are working on uh, an FDA-cleared device that they're calling Q-Inside Safety Technology. That's what they're working on to put into breast implants and other medical devices so that you wouldn't have to have that card. You know, you can uh, just have it scanned with a simple device outside the body that'll tell you all the information you want to know. And that would be a really great thing to be able to do. And Veritech has been working on that and hopefully... In the near future, they're going to have that. And they filed two patents with the U.S. Patent Office uh, re- relating to their breast implant identification and safety technology. Uh, we should be seeing this coming in the next few years. Who knows if it will get integrated, but I think it's a great idea. It would be nice to know without having to dig up those cards and whatever information we might get, looking at old doctor records, if you can still get them, this would take all the guesswork out. So I could see it would be a, a nice addition to breast implants. So when we're talking about building a better breast implant, this could be one way to do it. Now, let's change gears a little bit. And let's talk about the different uh, types of implants that we have today. There are, uh, we talked about the saline-filled implants. The saline, interestingly, when the FDA pulled the silicone implants back in 90 and 91, Saline implants took over the market because it's all we could use for breast augmentation. So our two major manufacturers, uh, at the time it was uh, McGann and Mentor, started making saline-filled breast implants. And, you know, after we were using saline for so many years, you can now get saline-filled breast implants and silicone-filled breast implants in nearly exactly the same sizes, shapes, dimensions. So you can choose between saline and silicone. So let's talk briefly about the choice between saline and silicone. Saline implants are less expensive, but typically we overfill them a little bit to give it a, a little bit more true shape and to give it a little bit less likelihood of having rippling. Rippling is when you see the waves through the skin of the ripples of the implant, and that's a lot more likely to happen when the implants are underfilled. 
So in order to try and cut down rippling and improve the, the, the feel of the breast, we add a little bit of overfill to the implant. So if you have a 300 cc implant, maybe you put 330 cc's into it to give it a little bit more expansion and make it less likely to have those little folds or ripples in the implant. So that's, you know, another thing about the saline implants is we fill them up after we put them in. So we have some uh, ability to adjust. Now, they are more adjustable, but they are uh, not as natural looking and feeling as silicone implants. Now, silicone implants uh, are a little bit more natural looking and feeling. They flow better than uh, the saline implants. And in my estimation, I think they're just the nicer implant. Generally, I recommend silicone implants to most people. If you're looking for the nicest, softest, uh, most natural looking result, you're probably looking for silicone implants. There's one type of patient that I would recommend a saline implant to over silicone. Well, I would say two. First of all, the silicone implants are more expensive and cost about $1,000 more. So if the $1,000 is a really big deal for your budget, there's nothing wrong with using a saline implant. You'll still have a nice-looking breast, have good feel. should be fine. But if the $1,000 is affordable... Silicone implants are going to give you a really beautiful, natural look and feel to the breast that is not always as easily achieved with saline implants. So, uh, I do recommend the silicone with the exception of budget and one other thing. If the look you're going for is what people call the done look, you know, where you have big round top to the breast, the upper pole of the breast is real firm and round and projected, that is what we call a high-profile look. Well, if you want a firm, high-profile look, sometimes using a saline implant gives you a little more firmness and holds that shape a little bit better. And in that case, you might want to think about using a high-profile saline-filled implant because it'll save you money and it's probably going to keep that round, firm shape a little bit better than the softer silicone implants and uh, you kind of judge for yourself that's a choice you make with you between you and your surgeon but I, I think that in most cases you're looking to use silicone filled implants now there are lots and lots of different silicone filled implants and even some combination implants that are part saline part silicone in fact there's combination saline saline implants that we're going to talk about we'll be back we're going to take another short break and when we come back from the break we're going to be continue our talk about the different implants we have today, what's new, what's come out, and how we're using them. And after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Stephen Teitelbaum. So join us after these short messages here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Leadership is a destination. But how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America Business Channel. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to new reflections with dr adam rubenstein if you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests please call 1-866-472-5792 again that's 1-866-472-5792 you can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com that's info at dr-rubenstein.com now back to new reflections Welcome back to New Reflections. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, and I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Stephen Teitelbaum, who's coming in now, calling us from California. Dr. Teitelbaum, welcome to New Reflections. Good morning. Well, good morning there on the on your West Coast. Over here on the East Coast in Miami is just turned afternoon. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. It's very much a pleasure to be on. I've heard so much about it. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, let, we were having a discussion about all the different implants, the history of implants, the PIP scandal. Talked a little bit about the RFID devices, those little microchips that uh, Veritech is trying to incorporate into implants. What is your thought about having a microchip, sort of like the PET microchips that we have, put into the uh, breast implants? 
I think a device that would detect leakage is something that would appeal a lot to patients. It'll come down to price, though, because patients are very price-sensitive about breast implants, and sometimes just a few hundred dollars is a difference between their ability to afford it and not afford it. Yeah, that no question of that, that, but you know... The, the, what, the thing, that's true. That there's a different device that we're talking about. You raise a good point. There actually was a device in development, and probably somewhere out there it's still being developed, that Ty, Dr. Teitelbaum is speaking about, that is a, a little, a small device that will be incorporated into breast implants that will be able to detect if the shell has been broken. And you know, that would take all the guesswork out. So you know, what we were talking about before with the Veritech device, these microchips are just for identification. They just tell you the style of the implant, the fill, the manufacturer, you know, all the, the vital statistics of the device itself, but these don't detect rupture. The one that you're talking about is a step beyond that, which is you know, even higher technology that involves a network that be built into the shell of the device that would be able to detect when the shell might crack, and so we'd know when they're ruptured. That'd be great, but you're right, could be expensive. But the, whatever this is going to cost, we give patients a card that says exactly what they have, and you just put that wherever you have your birth certificate or your Social Security card or your insurance yeah. papers, and then the doctor has the record and the manufacturer has the record. So... It just almost never comes up as an issue, in my mind, to be worried about. Well, I'm sure you've had a patient that comes to your office. I mean, I've had, I I agree with you, it's probably not going to come up and be that important, but I've had some cases in my office, not too infrequently, actually, where people come in and they're coming for, maybe they don't have a problem, they just want a revision, they want to be bigger, they want to lift, they want to exchange the implants, freshen things up, but they have no idea where those cards are. But you figure it out and give them a great result, don't you? Well, of course, yeah. But it sure would be nice not to have to fly blind. So just kind of a neat idea, and I think Veritech's working on that. Um, and you know, probably better is the one you talked about. It is the network around the shell. If you could tell if the shell's broken or not, sometimes the MRI isn't completely accurate. And you know, if you think your implants might be broken, you should get an MRI if you have silicone-filled implants. But uh, you know, coming technology, maybe we'll be able to tell automatically if the shell's broken. But you're probably right. The technology in terms of incorporating is going to be very expensive. So it's going to raise the price of implants and things are expensive enough for a lot of patients. But there's been new stuff that is interesting in the world of implants. So one of the newest things that we have that uh, in the last year or two has been introduced in the United States market, it's been used worldwide, are shaped implants. And I know that you've worked as an investigator on some of the studies leading up to its approval. Yes, I've been using them since uh, the spring of 2001. This was something that should have taken three years to get approved, but the FDA really dragged its feet on this, so we had over 10 years of data before they were actually approved. They've been used in Europe since 2003, so worldwide there's already over a 20-year experience with them. That's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable sometimes how the United States has one of the leading medical uh, worlds in, in you know, medical fields in the country. You know, the, the best medicine is delivered supposedly in the United States and yet getting things uh, to be uh, delivered is, um, is not so easy, bringing new things to the market. You know, yeah, I mean, there, you know, the FDA gets criticized regularly from both sides. Like, we just took a stab at them for taking so long on this. There are as many people who will criticize them for 
being too generous to industry, and approving things before their time. That's why we see advertisements all the time. Have you been given so-and-so at the law offices of so-and-so? We'll take care of this drug. <laughs> so it's, it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah, no, the FDA's got a tough job. It's not something that's so easily uh, fixed. Uh, but, but with oh. breast, breast is different than any other device or drug they've dealt with. It's the only one that carries such a strong sociological component. You know, you have a number of people who focused on this. While there are some women's rights groups who feel strongly a woman should have the maximum array of choices for her own body, there are other people who feel that we shouldn't live in a society where women are forced to be worried yeah. about how they look in order well, to yeah. advance. Yeah, i got to tell you, I take, you. it's true, people do, do say that, but I take exception to saying women are forced. I mean, uh, it, it's a personal choice. And while you can say, sure, there's, there's so, society puts pressure on women to look a certain way, well, that's true. That's true of men and women. I mean, you don't want to be overweight. You, you, want to, you, you don't want to be unkempt. You want to have a good appearance, whatever the good appearance is for your time and your community. But that's not putting a gun to anyone's head and saying have a surgical procedure to alter your appearance. It's a significant step that I think by far and large patients take seriously. So, you know, I agree with you. You're, I, I think you're 100% right. These people would argue just to be fair to the other side since no one's here representing them. They would say, they would have, I think they have more of a utopian view of the world. That over time, if you eliminate pornography, if you eliminate sexually explicit advertisements, they think that society can be advanced to the point where, you know, to quote Martin Luther King, they'll be judged by the content of their color and not the shape of their bodies. Well, I think that, that is a nice idea, but it, it's, <laughs> however altruistic and utilitarian it may be, I don't think it's realistic. Uh, you know, we people, have several hundred thousand years of, of, of evolution. That in support, right, that, that support what we're talking about. That's exactly right. Uh, but now we have here. Let's talk about these shaped implants. We have the shaped okay. implants, and you know, for years and years, all we've had is round, right? So, what is what is the benefit if you're a patient and you're thinking about having breast augmentation? Is this something that you should walk into your surgeon's office and say, "Hey, I, I think I want to have one of those teardrop implants"? Well, first, I want to correct one thing we both said. Actually, there's a period of time where they did have shaped implants in the '60s, and then there was an implant very popular in the 80s that was shaped, but, but they never were a big part of the market, and they pretty much died. So you're correct that for all intents and purposes, we only had round implants. But let's fast forward. Why do we even have these shaped implants? There was a very popular implant in the 80s called the Replicon, and it was a teardrop-shaped silicone gel-filled implant, and it was wrapped in a polyurethane shell. And when you held it in your hand, it really held that shape, and it looked gorgeous. But that polyurethane foam on the outside dissolved shortly in the body. And it turned out that the shape was conferred upon the implant by that foam. And once the foam was gone, it just became this amorphous blob. And you lost the shape. And as you had this blob, the shell would form little folds. And those folds would become weak, just like if you had a newspaper folded up in your drawer for a long time, and then it would break and leak. The silicone was very liquidy, and that's when we had problems with leakage. So there was a great plastic surgeon, there's still, he's still alive, John Tebbets, and he thought, well, 
what if we created the shape with the gel? What if we create a stiffer gel so that the gel held the shape, not worrying about the shell, and then we have this more durable implant that's less likely to break, less likely to leak, and holds its shape. So that's where these things came from. Now, it's actually a great point. Dr. Tebbets had a pretty brilliant solution to this. Um, the replicon implants with the polyurethane uh, coating, there were other implants with polyurethane coatings. Just kind of interestingly, the surgeons that used them historically back when we had polyurethane coated implants also felt that they had much less capsular contracture with those coatings. Yes. They, 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 and they're still very popular in Brazil. Uh, there are some very famous guys using them in Europe that love them. And they were taken off the market here to get back to the FDA for a moment because the breakdown products of the foam caused a cancer in rats, but a cancer that humans never get. So those, <laughs> a lot of people want those approved again, but no company is going to invest the hundreds of millions of dollars necessary to go through a clinical trial to satisfy the FDA, given that track record. Yeah, well, it, it's, it certainly is a little bit of a checkered past, even though, I mean, as soon as you say the C word, you know, cancer is not fun in, in rats or humans, it's very hard for the public, you know, for the average person to look at it and say, okay, well, I know it gave cancer to rats, but it's not cancer that humans don't get, but it certainly begs the question, well, gee, is it possible it could be causing cancer in humans? And like you said, it's going to be a lot of money and a lot of time to prove but I'll tell you, one of my mentors and one of the great names in, in breast surgery and actually in the, invent, in, the, uh, in the inventing of the breast implant, Tom Biggs, uh, Dr. Biggs swears by these polyurethane coatings, loved them. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our talk about the newest and greatest advances and actually talk a little bit about a new warranty that's being given by one of the implant manufacturers that might just change the way you look at breast implants as an option if you're worried about capsular contracture. We'll be back in just a few short moments here on New Reflections talking about breast implants. Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. 
Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. Just to remind you, call the show anytime, 866-472-5792. You can also catch me on Facebook. Uh, catch the show at New Reflections Radio. Catch me at Miami Plastic Surgeon. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Rubenstein. That's D-R-R-U-B-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. We're here with Dr. Stephen Teitelbaum, board-certified plastic surgeon, and we're talking about building the better breast implant. And we're just talking about the shaped versus round devices. We have a bunch of new teardrop, uh, so they're called shaped implants, uh, the implants come in lots of different dimensions, tall, taller than wide, wider than tall, different projections, having a, a much more projection on the bottom of the implant than the top of the implant, so you get that kind of teardrop shape to them. And, and these are gaining popularity. Now, worldwide, they're actually pretty popular. They're probably used as much or more than round implants are used. But in this country, round implants, uh, because it's what we've had for such a long time, uh, are by far the majority of what's being used. But now, Dr. Teitelbaum, you have used these for many years. You get a lot of experience in choosing between a shaped implant versus round implant. When when should patients be thinking about maybe asking their surgeon for a shaped implant? Or what is the difference between them? What can you achieve with shape that you can't get with round? Um, a, a standard round implant feels softer and squishier, and that's the main reason you would use that or n- and not use the teardrop. And what that means is that it has a more amorphous shape, the round implant. And if someone has had babies and their breast is sort of big, a little bit looser, then, then just a regular silicone implant is the right thing. But if someone has a tight, tight, small breast and they need shape imparted upon the breast, then I like the teardrop implant much more. Interesting, because, you know, patients will ask me in my office sometimes, because I have a row of them sitting on my desk. So when I'm sitting to patients, sitting talking with patients, they see three round implants and three different shaped implants on my desk, and they start, we start talking about it. So what about these? And my explanation for the shaped implants to my patients is, well, you know, the round ones are pretty much what I use for most patients for cosmetic surgery. But the shaped implants are great when you need to make the shape of a breast. So for reconstructive purposes, the shaped implants are terrific. 
And in some cases, what I found is that the shaped implants are probably a little bit better for some of those patients that have just a hint of a little bit of sagging of the breast, maybe a, a mom that's had two or three kids breastfed and has a little bit of, of sag along with lots of deflation, just missing lots of volume. You take those shaped implants and you use that in, in that. Of course, they're going to look good no matter what you do, to be honest. But if you're trying to get a little bit more projection, a little bit more natural shape and push to it, sometimes the, the shaped implants will fill that and make it look so beautiful and natural and give you just a hint of extra projection in the bottom to counteract the little bit of sag that we see. That's 100% true. The only thing is that the trade-off with these implants is that they're firmer. The young yeah. woman, tight, no babies, she's firmer than the implant is. But when yeah, you put true. that implant in the looser, more mobile breast, the, the, they get the shape you're talking about, but they have the trade-off of firmness. So... Those women will split. Some of them will want the round implant because it's softer, and some will want the shape for the sake of shape. But, Adam, I bet you get a gorgeous natural result with round. It's just too bad that round has this myth it only looks round. Oh, yeah, no, I actually show, you know, if you take an implant and put it in your hand and you tilt it a little bit and you let gravity work, and I show this to all my patients, you know, you want a round one, you want a shaped one, but let me show you what happens with round when gravity works on it. And they become teardropped as soon as you just stick them upright. So, yeah, I agree with you completely. Most even surgeons don't understand it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Now, one quick thing. We only have a couple of minutes uh, left on the show, and I want to talk about something that's just come up in the world of breast implants. It's a company called Cientra, who's one of the newer entries into the United States market. It's actually a spinoff of a company that's been internationally very successful, Silamed, making all kinds of implants, including breast. But they just announced, just a couple days ago, hot off the press, their Capcon Care program. They're calling it their C3 warranty. And the idea with this program is not only uh, are their implants warrantied against rupture, but if you get capsular contracture in the first couple years after your breast augmentation, that's with any size, style, or shape of the Cientra implant, they are going to get two free implants for the exchange and some financial support to have them replaced. That's a pretty neat thing. What do you think about that? I think this company has done a lot of wonderful things. You know, of the three manufacturers, they're the only company to sell to credible board-certified surgeons. The other two companies will sort of sell to anybody who wants to buy them. And here they just go in another step. Capsular contracture historically has been one of the things that plague the implant. And that's when patients develop scar tissue. It tightens around the implant, distorts it, pulls it high, makes it round, makes it hard. And so what they're doing is for the first two years, they'll give you another pair of implants. You can go one size up or one size down only because they don't want people pretending they're hard because what they really want is to go to a different size. Right, and right. As I understood, and I could be wrong, they're only covering the implant. My rep from Sientra was here yesterday, and he told me it's just for the device. Ah, uh, well, that could be. You'll have to look. This is so new. I haven't heard the the details on it yet, but I know that uh, that it it certainly is an, a, a pretty exciting step because even if it's just a device, that's going to save people a couple grand if they have to have this exchange. Because you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but my feeling is. If they have advanced capsular contracture, and it can happen within a year or two of surgery, it's rare, but it does happen. And I tell my patients that it could be one year, could be 10 years, could be 30 years. Depends on you and your body and the implant. 
But if it happens, I'm not in favor, especially with capsular contracture, taking the old devices out, doing a capsulectomy, and putting the same devices back in. I think you got to put fresh implants in every time. And this is a great way to save them a couple thousand dollars on that procedure being done. I agree with you. And you know, a lot of plastic surgeons, to reduce costs, will reuse the implant. But capsular contracture is probably due to bacteria, microscopic amounts of bacteria that normally live within the breast that are on the surface of the implant. So you are dead on. And yep. so often I see people who have recurrent contracture because the doctor reused the implants. So this well, with every, everything we know about the, the bacteria you're talking about and creating biofilm on the surface of the implant, I mean, you really got to get them out. We've come to the end Absolutely. of the show. Dr. Teitelbaum, so happy you're able to call in and, and share time with us. If someone wants to come see you and learn about all these options in breast augmentation for them, how do they find you? Well, I'm on the Internet at drteitelbaum.com, D-R-T-E-I-T-E-L-B-A-U-M. And I also have a website only about cohesive implants. It has more information than almost any plastic surgeon knows, cohesiveimplants.com. Fabulous. Dr. Teitelbaum, board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in California, terrific resource about breast implants and everything having to do with plastic surgery. This has been New Reflections. The show has been Building a Better Breast Implant. Listen in every week, 12 to 1 Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific, on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. To New Reflections, we've got exciting things coming up. Look forward to speaking with you and teaching you more about aesthetics, wellness, health, and beauty on future episodes of New Reflections. Thanks for listening. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for New Reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.